Hi everyone, welcome to my podcast, Life and Money with Christine Tay. My name is Christine Tay. I'm the founder of Tay Financial Coaching, where I help people transform their relationship with money. I am also a LinkedIn coach, helping people with their personal brand on LinkedIn. I also love talking about life and self-growth, since spirituality is an important part of my life. In this podcast, you will hear talks about money, social media, and life. I hope you enjoy the episodes. Please leave a review if you do. I'd really appreciate that. You can check my services and LinkedIn online course by going to my website at www.tefinancialcoaching. That's T-E-H-financialcoaching.com. Thank you. Today's episode is a live stream interview with estate planning attorney Matthew McClintock. Matthew is a nationally known estate planning attorney. In this episode, we discuss the importance of estate planning, why it's something every adult needs to address, and various planning options depending on what you want to accomplish. Your estate plan should reflect your unique needs and goals. It should be carefully tailored to you, and like your financial strategies, it must be kept current because your life is dynamic. I hope you will find value in this episode. Please leave a review if you do. This will help me reach the masses so more people will have access to financial literacy. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, Matt. Welcome. Thanks, Christine. It's nice to be here. Ah, Yeah. Thank you. We already got 15 people joining in. Wow. Everyone wants to hear about estate planning. So thank you so much for joining. And then, yeah, so everyone we have here, estate planning attorney, you know, he has so much knowledge about the estate plans and that's like kind of very complicated topic. I've already had a lawyer before talk about this, but we can never talk too much about it. So different lawyers have different perspectives. So um, thank you so much for accepting the invitation to talk about it. So why don't you introduce yourself more so I don't, you know, miss anything. I'll let you introduce yourself instead. Sure. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my name is Matt McClintock. I'm a practicing attorney, a partner in a law firm called Evergreen Legacy Planning. Our main office is in Evergreen, Colorado, which is just up in the mountains, a little bit west of Denver. We also have an office in Newport Beach, California. And our practice is limited exclusively to sophisticated estate planning for mostly for affluent and ultra affluent families that's kind of the niche that we found ourselves in and just as a really quick bit of background um as far as that i think might be relevant is that um before i started this law firm in 2017 i spent the prior 10 years teaching estate planning law to other attorneys around the country Uh, and so as a result both my my law partner and i have a lot of sophisticated expertise about the laws of a lot of different jurisdictions around the country. Um, And so we we kind of call ourselves a national practice that just happens to be located in Evergreen, Colorado. Got it. Cool. So you can practice in which states? I'm licensed and admitted to practice law in the state of Colorado, Wyoming, and Alaska. Uh, My law partner is licensed in the state of California. Mm-hmm. And um, just for what it's worth, um, that's where I can physically practice law and represent clients. However, um, because I, I live and work in a jurisdiction where I'm admitted, I've got clients all around the country. 
um, mm -hmm. and I've got a lot of international clients as well. So um, it's kind of a tricky question as far as where we're where we're licensed to practice, because really an attorney can practice law oh. anywhere where the attorney is physically located and has an office if the attorney is licensed to practice where they are. It really goes mm -hmm. to where the where the attorney practices versus mm -hmm. where their where their clients happen to be. Mm, got it. Good. Okay. So now let's get started on the fun topic of estate planning. So let's get started. Like, what is estate planning? Um, you know, I like to look at it as a process by which you create a comprehensive plan for um, how you'll retain control over your assets and your own decision making throughout your lifetime through any period of incapacity if you uh, get sick or get injured and you can't make decisions anymore the estate plan creates a, a framework and identifies people to make decisions for you according to rules that you set forth and when you pass away it creates a really or orderly and efficient and critically important private way for you to manage your affairs and ultimately pass what you've spent your life building to the people that you love most as tax efficiently as possible and in a way that helps them really become the very best version of themselves through a really carefully thought out series Got of it. strategies. So so I know you mentioned uh, when we had our first chat, you said um, every grown up need an estate plan. So what the what is a grown up and when when does one really need to start thinking about an estate plan? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had fun with that because, um, <laughs> you know, estate planning is, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't like to think about because they don't like to think about the, their mortality. They don't like to think about, they don't want to spend the money for one. Um, they don't often want to engage in a lot of the hard conversations around what happens when the world goes on without us. Mm -hmm. um, but my, my, my point behind what I, said when I told you that is that I mean that's just part of being an adult I mean yeah, you know it's exactly. we can't we can't just pretend that yeah. um, we're invincible and invulnerable yeah. we're gonna so die that's, one that's day idea. okay so that's that's something uh, you know guaranteed you're gonna die one day that's why yeah, like and, you can, and you can either control the situation you can either control the process or you can just let it happen and mm -hmm. and a lot of people say well you know I'm dead why do I care well <laughs> if you yeah. don't if you yeah. if you think about that, yeah, you may not care, but you could leave a mess behind for the people that you really did care a whole lot about. And how do you yeah. want to be remembered in future generations? Yep, yep. So I'm gonna give two actual examples. Um, you know, um, real life friends that actually, um, he was actually a realtor for this house. So he was he's actually our friend's dad. He um he just passed away on a vacation. They went in Mexico with, you know, he has with his girlfriend at the time. And then he was swimming and I don't know what happened in the middle of snorkeling. Like he like he just stopped breathing. And so he, mm. he passed away in the middle of the like over there. And then like people went there, he was just floating. So he passed away unexpected. Wow. He was only in his um late forties or early fifties. He was fairly young. So and he didn't even have a will or trust. So, so my friend actually had to, um, I think like they had to go to probate for some of the accounts. And sure. then, so, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a lengthy process. So, so like, what do you explain to people? What if they don't have estate plan? What's going to happen? Yeah, it's a great question, Christine. And, um, so the, I guess the good news and bad news is that 
whatever jurisdiction you happen to live in, whether it's mm -hmm. here in the United States, whatever state you're in, mm -hmm. or if you live internationally, whatever country you're in, or maybe even whatever province you happen to live in, um, it has a default system of rules that says that if I die and I don't have a will, I don't have a trust, I don't have anything, there are default rules that say who gets what and who mm -hmm. makes decisions on my behalf. Now, for your friend that you're talking about, you said that he has a girlfriend. Well, um, the girlfriend is not a legally recognized relationship, no matter yeah. how long they live together. So um, a lot of jurisdictions would say, well, if they meet certain criteria, maybe she was his common law wife. Mm -hmm. But if they don't represent themselves as such, then they're not mm -hmm. a married couple under any circumstance. And so what is she mm -hmm. entitled to if uh, under the rules? Nothing. She's entitled to nothing under the law. Not even, even if they had had kids together, even if they have been together for 20 years because they're not in a legally recognized relationship, mm -hmm. she's not entitled to anything unless mm -hmm. he has an estate plan that says, this is mm -hmm. the person who's most important to me. This is what Got I want it. her to get. This is how it all works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's either you have an estate plan or get married, right? <laughs> so then you have yeah, to make it right. Yeah. But, but, even if you, <laughs> but even if you do get married, the laws uh -huh. of, of a lot of states, at least in the United States, say that, okay, if you're married and if you have children, guess what your spouse mm -hmm. is entitled to? No more than half. Mm -hmm. Guess who gets the other half? Your kids. And mm -hmm. so this now means that even, even though you might have said, hey, you know what, what's mine is hers, what's hers is mine. Mm -hmm. if, you don't, if, if, you have, if you don't have your property titled that way, mm -hmm. and if you don't have a plan that says that, mm -hmm. that is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I did talk to one estate uh, planning attorney before I was asking her, I was like, when do, does one really need an, a, a trust or a, a will? So she basically told me to put it the simplest term is that if you have a dependent child or if you own a home, because then you can't just put like a beneficiary, like not like on your accounts. Like if you're very, let's say on top of things and you always update your beneficiary, then then maybe there might not need a trust or will. But if you have a house, it can't you can't just go like, hey, beneficiary right there, right? It's going to go to probate. So that's her simplest. Um, explanation so what do you think about that like if do you have any add-on to that yeah I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not sure I agree with that okay. um, I, I, I think that it's kind of hard to say it's kind of hard to put a, it's kind of hard to put a bright line mm -hmm. on that and here's here's what I mean by that because in order to understand at what point you need to go into some kind of estate planning engagement it really it really requires a discussion around what problems are you trying to solve Mm -hmm. If you're only trying to solve the problem of avoiding probate, that's mm -hmm. easy. It's simply a matter of saying, well, even uh, on a piece of even on a piece of real estate, if mm -hmm. if you if you and I own a piece of property together as joint mm -hmm. tenants with right of survivorship, okay. and I die, you yeah. own that property. Yeah, that's simple yep. as that. I could do that with a kid. I could do that with anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but in, if if then you end up getting sued for whatever reason, mm -hmm. getting a car wreck, business failure. Yeah divorce, yeah, yeah. whatever, that property that you received mm -hmm. through inheritance from me mm -hmm. is now in most jurisdictions subject to the claims of your creditors. And now you're going to lose, you have no protection over those assets. So if I solve oh. the probate problem, I can mm -hmm. solve the probate problem with title to assets. Or mm -hmm. even in a lot of jurisdictions, including Colorado, you can actually have a beneficiary deed that mm -hmm. says that if Matt dies, oh. Christine is the beneficiary who receives that, that can avoid probate, that's fine. Oh. But that doesn't solve the problem of protecting you from okay. a future creditor 
if Got something it. goes sideways and you end up getting sued. So it's uh, that's that's kind of why it's hard for me to say that you know a certain level of assets or um, you know if you have children or whatever. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard to mm-hmm. say. It, at least mm-hmm. in my perspective, the estate planning dialogue is a lot like the financial coaching mm-hmm. dialogue, which is yep. where do you want to go? What mm-hmm. do you want to happen? Because it's it's kind of like the it's like the story of the Cheshire Cat in Alice in the Looking Glass. Well, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Yeah. So it's, we need to no, know where you want to go. Right. We want to know yeah. where you want to go. Yeah. And then, yeah, maybe you don't need an estate plan. Maybe you're fine mm-hmm. with the default rules, but make it an intelligent decision, not just yeah. I'm too lazy or afraid yeah. to think about it. Yeah, or or you don't want to spend the money either, right. or yeah. you're like, right. oh yeah, I'm gonna die anyway. Who cares? Yeah. Right. So, so totally you're saying it. that. Yeah, so you're saying that if everything like the house is in a trust that you have protection against against creditor, then like that's just the. It, Go ahead. Lawyer answer. It depends. <laughs> um, so, okay. So um, All right. in, in most in most jurisdictions, mm-hmm. if I create a trust mm-hmm. and I put my assets in that trust, and then I die, and you are the beneficiary of that trust, mm-hmm. you have very robust asset protection over the assets inside that trust, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, be- and here's why. Because at that point, because I created the trust and now I'm dead, the mm-hmm. trust is irrevocable. Because mm-hmm. I created the trust, you didn't have any control over how it was designed. Your mm-hmm. role is simply mm-hmm. the beneficiary, and maybe mm-hmm. you're the trustee as well. Mm-hmm. But all you, you didn't get to set the rules. You didn't put your own property in there. I set the rules, and I put my property in there, and then I died. And you became my beneficiary. At mm-hmm. that point, you have a lot of protection. Now, mm-hmm. in if I create a revocable trust for myself during mm-hmm. my lifetime, which yep. I have done, yep. um, and I put my house and my accounts mm-hmm. and my vehicles inside that trust, mm-hmm. I have zero asset protection. Why? Because it's revocable by me. Mm-hmm. A court Got could it. issue an order saying, hey, divest the trust assets. You're the creator of the trust. You're the trustee of the trust. You're the beneficiary of the trust. The trust is revocable. You've got no protection. Now, in some jurisdictions, Mm -hmm. Wyoming is one of them, Alaska, South Dakota, Nevada, a whole bunch of them around the country and around the world. You Mm -hmm. do have the ability to do some very advanced type of estate planning where you can create your own trust Mm -hmm. for your own benefit and Mm -hmm. get asset protection from it. But understand that is not the typical estate planning trust. That's a very advanced type of structure that we do for clients mm-hmm. with very high net worth with some discretionary assets. Got it. Okay. Someone has a question. Um, Sean Burks asks, how much does it cost to have an estate planning done? I know you're going to say it depends. <laughs> how much, so, I was thinking about this question. I knew this question was coming. So I'll answer <laughs> that question by, by asking, what do you want? What's, what's the problem you're trying to solve? It's like saying, how much is surgery? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, if I'm, having a, if I'm having a mole removed, that's one thing. <laughs> if I'm having a hip replacement done, that's something else. Yeah. And so it just, I, there's, so here, here are the variables. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to dodge the question. I can tell you mm-hmm. what I charge if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I think I probably can. Um, but mm-hmm. it depends a lot on what, what types of strategies you're implementing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm mm-hmm. talking with my hands. I'm getting a shadow. Apologize. But, um, <laughs> It depends on what um, types of solutions you're putting into place. Mm-hmm. It depends how complicated or how detailed you want that to be. 
-hmm. depends on what outcomes you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, honestly, is driven by what market you happen to be in. Uh, so, for example, a lot of um, a lot of really high high population density areas, whether it's Los Angeles or Seattle or New York or whatever, a lot of really high density populations where you've got a lot of lawyers, they have a tendency to drive the, the cost down um, mm -hmm. because you've got an awful lot of providers in a, in a big market. Um, mm -hmm. Now, there are other, there are also people who will sell you, um, whether it's, you know, what's the legal zoom or, Quicken will or whatever. Um, they're, they're, they're even attorneys or even law firms that will sell stuff online for a few hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. um, that's not my, that's not my model because I, because mm -hmm. I don't see the estate plan as a commodity. Mm -hmm. I see the estate plan as a relationship. I see mm -hmm. an estate plan as a comprehensive solution set. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's appropriate to get into it here or if maybe it's part of a later conversation, but the way I look at estate planning is that there are different types of a family's wealth. There are different types mm -hmm. of an individual's wealth. There's certainly the quantifiable um, mm -hmm. type of wealth, and that's the one that's easy to see. That's the numbers mm -hmm. on the balance sheet. Yeah. And um, just transferring numbers on a balance sheet, mm -hmm. that's, can, that's usually pretty straightforward. Even if the numbers are really, really big, there are proven strategies that can just move the numbers, save the taxes, mm -hmm. disinherit the IRS. But that's just one type of wealth. Yeah. There are, there are human, there's human capital inside your family. There's intellectual capital inside your family. Mm -hmm. There is spiritual capital inside your family. There are the stories that you and your family are about. And the estate plan, at least the way we do estate planning, um, is we try to explore all these different types of a family's wealth and not just solve for mm -hmm. the dollar amount. We don't just solve to avoid probate, although we do. Mm -hmm. We don't just solve to mitigate taxes, although we do, mm -hmm. but we look at when, how, you know, Christine, you are building your career and you are working hard. You're making sacrifices. You're putting in a lot of hard work to build something. Mm -hmm. Part of it's because it's fun, but part of it's because you want to build something of value. Mm -hmm. And at some point in your life, what you spend your career building, the wealth that you accumulate over time, however vast or however modest that is, that will represent one measure of your life's work. That is worth imbuing with your values and making sure that then when it comes time, whether it passes to a parent, if that parent is disabled, making sure that they don't get disqualified if they have to qualify for needs-based assistance due to a disability. Whether you pass it to a kid, making sure that kid's not just going to, even if they just inherit a hundred thousand bucks, do you want to dump a hundred thousand mm -hmm. bucks in the lap of a kid who's 21 years old? Yeah. Probably not. You know, so, you need, mm -hmm. you know so, so the idea of trying to, trying to give you a dollar amount on what an estate plan costs, it's just, a, it's an impossible question for me to answer. I know everybody wants to know. Um, I yeah. think, Probably more more than that. I, I, before you start thinking about how much it's going to cost, I think it's worth learning about what the process should look like and what your mm -hmm. what the possibilities are, and then make a decision based off of what your budget says. Mm -hmm. And and your budget may only be, you know, a, a two hundred dollar will or whatever right now. Mm -hmm. But but this gets to something else, Christine. That I know we're going to talk about, and mm -hmm. I don't want to steal your thunder. But mm -hmm. it's it's this idea of estate planning being an iterative process. The estate yep. plan you have today 
is not the estate plan you need five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now. Exactly. So I guess like when people hire you, like, is, is it normally at the retainer value? Like when they come to you, they, they share you the information, how their situation is. So do you kind of quote them already how much it is? And then like, and then that's already, you know, to finish this estate plan and then yearly or whatever, however often they need to come back, then they just pay whatever retainer fee after that. That's typically how I do it. So what okay. I do is um, I'll usually do a discovery call with somebody mm-hmm. um, that can be as short as a half hour. Sometimes it can be an hour to an hour and a half, just kind of depending on mm-hmm. what issues they want to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of do a little bit of, of rough pre-qualifying just to make sure that they're a good fit for our firm. But then I'll, I'll sit down with them right now because of the pandemic. We just do everything virtually. Yeah. We yeah. do video conferencing all the time. But then yeah. we just kind of do a discovery and we say, look, this is, you know, I kind of learn about them. I learn about what problems they're trying to solve, what challenges they're facing. And then... Um, depending on the outcomes of that conversation, probably nine times out of 10, I say, okay, well, here's what I will recommend. And I'll walk you through that. And at the end of that conversation, I will give you a fixed dollar amount. I will tell you exactly how much it's going to cost you to solve this problem. But first I've got to know what problems we're solving. And that could range anywhere from a few hundred, uh, that can range anywhere from a few thousand dollars to tens of thousands of dollars or more, depending on the the scope of work. And so, you know, usually I can start to figure out if it's, if it's going to be just kind of a clean engagement this way, okay, we're going to do a foundational revocable living trust centered plan. And here's what that looks like. Here's what's included. And here's the price. Mm-hmm. Or I've got to dig in through a whole lot of existing documents. And then you're going to, you're going to retain me just to do an analysis. Got um, it. And then, so then once we've got the body of work, we, we establish a body of work, usually in an initial con- consultation that doesn't cost anything, but time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll have a fixed body of work that says, okay, for us to do this, it costs X. Mm-hmm. And then we simply set the expectation to say, look, what you're paying for is this body of work plus a couple of additional hours of mm-hmm. getting you up to speed, transferring mm-hmm. assets and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you're kind of on your own unless you want to just, you know, we'll drip on you about once a year, no charge, mm-hmm. no obligation, nothing like that. Yeah. But if you, you know, but if you've, green light from additional work, then we'll create a new fixed fee. Um, and the reason I do that, I mean, um, I don't like doing hourly work anyway, because yeah. I know it's a lot of attorneys still work by the, by the billable hour. I just think that it rewards inefficiency yeah. and, it's, and, it, and it interferes with free and open communication. Yeah. So I want my clients to feel like they can pick up the phone and call me. They can, yep. you know, they can ask me a question and they don't have to worry about, is this a $5 question? Or is this a $500 <laughs> question? You know, I, like, yes, I know. What so you I, I, I want to be on the same side of the table as the client. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so, um, so let's say the person doesn't own a home, whatever, and then they're always on top of their, um, you know, their, whatever they, let's say they only have a retirement investment account. They don't have kids. So what if they're always on top of just updating the beneficiary? Are they, are they okay not having any trust or will done? Or estate planning? How do they want that beneficiary to receive that money? They don't have any kids. Who's their beneficiary? I guess nobody. Maybe a charity then. <laughs> well, if it's, if so if it's a charity, great. Oh, oh no, no, no. Wait, wait. The beneficiary will be, um, you're right. So the beneficiary will be um, maybe a family member. You know, any family member that's younger, whatever. So they just have to know, okay, they're the beneficiary. So if, if, if the, I pass away, if I pass away, then they have to know, okay, then they can claim that. 
So is, is there still a need for a trust? You know, assuming everybody knows what's happening and then and then and they're very always up to date on their beneficiary. So a couple of questions I would ask in response. Mm-hmm. One, do they care how quickly that account gets liquidated after death? Um, because if they if they do, then simply dumping it out in the lap of the kid isn't going to solve any problems. Because Let's say they're an adult. Let's say they're an okay. adult. Mm-hmm. So if it's an adult, um, mm-hmm. then the adult is going to be able to stretch it out for a period of 10 years. It, is that right? I can't remember the new Secure Act rules now. Um, but so the the rules changed at the end of December of last year as far as how long you can stretch. But but you're going to lose deferral of income tax if you don't have some kind of wrapper around uh, the the account. Oh, and okay. so, so what if you're, let's say it's going to your sibling, you've mm-hmm. got a brother or sister, yep, whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you say, okay, well, that's great. You know, what if that sibling gets sued? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the inherited retirement account is mm-hmm. not protected from bankruptcy or any other kind of proceedings in most jurisdictions. There's about seven states mm-hmm. in the United States that mm-hmm. protect an inherited account. Mm-hmm. Very few of them do. So if okay. a beneficiary gets sued or files mm-hmm. bankruptcy, yeah. That inherited account is now an asset of the bankruptcy trustee, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which then turns around and liquidates the account. Guess what? Recognizing all the income tax that had been deferred at that point. Mm-hmm. So now you liquidate the account and generate an income tax liability that the beneficiary is now stuck with that doesn't get discharged in bankruptcy. So that's one issue. Mm-hmm. What if your brother is now the beneficiary of this retirement account and he's had a stroke or he's been in a wreck? And now let's say we've got a quarter of a million bucks in, a, in an inherited IRA. Well, that inherited IRA will have to be spent down, accelerating income tax all the way before yeah. your brother can then qualify for needs-based assistance due to his disability. Mm. So it's, again, the thing is, Christine, it's, this gets back to the question of what problem are we trying to solve? If we're just trying to solve the problem of who gets my stuff, you don't need an estate plan for that. You got need beneficiary it, designations yep, for that. Yep, but if you're it, trying, but if you think more about mm-hmm. what does you know that retirement account came at a cost to you, the investor. Yep, yep, you went it. without. You you set mm-hmm. money aside. Why? If mm-hmm. you set the money aside only to see it get accelerated down to pay income tax and then go satisfy creditors, that's a really stupid way to manage your money. Yeah, yeah. Or or you make sure you spend your money before you die. But no, we cannot plan for that. If you if you can spend your last dime when you exhale for the last time, then you win. You win. Here's my hundred thousand dollar check. Here you go before I die. (laughs) You can be like the Joker in the Batman movie, just burn it all, you know. But most people don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. My my clients don't generally want to do that. Yes, yeah, so trust is really just so you can have specific instructions. So remember that it's for specific instructions so you have control over it. So that to just right. a simple answer of like who it will get to, then you might not need it, right? Then you're like, oh, I don't care. Then go to my brother. He can do whatever he wants. Then maybe he don't need yeah. the trust, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, to be, and to be perfectly clear, mm-hmm. a, will does a, a will can do that too. So mm-hmm. you don't have to have a trust in order to mm-hmm. have those really detailed instructions. Um, mm-hmm. I prefer trusts because... They privatize the process. Yes. If you have a will, you're still going to go through probate of some sort. Mm-hmm. It may be an abbreviated probate. It may be what's often referred to as an informal probate, but you're still going to go through some kind of court proceeding 
So it's, you know, it's wills are usually less expensive to put into motion for people mm -hmm. simply because you mm -hmm. don't go through the process of retitling mm -hmm. assets like you do yep. with a trust. Yep. But you can have just as many details inside your will as you have mm -hmm. inside your trust. But just mm -hmm. understand that if you, the idea of going will or trust should mm -hmm. be driven mostly by, do I want to privatize this process or mm -hmm. am I content to go through the, the courts to mm -hmm. publicly administer the process? Got it. So now that brings to the question, what's the difference between wills and trust? Is that all trusts must have wills? Like is the will the instruction for a trust and then and then wills come in with or without a trust? So, so a will, um, so the way I look at it is every estate plan has a centerpiece. Mm -hmm. And the if the will is the center, so both both wills and trusts mm -hmm. are designed to distribute your stuff, your property. Doesn't do anything about medical decisions, um, yep. but a will and a trust is a device for transferring property ultimately mm -hmm. from a dead person to a living person. That's what it does. Um, mm -hmm. Now, if you have a will, mm -hmm. the will does you nothing during your lifetime. It doesn't provide the appointment of a trustee or some, or somebody to make financial decisions if you're alive but incapacitated. Mm -hmm. okay. The will doesn't work yet because yep. the will only works when you're dead. The okay. trust, on the other hand, creates a framework where you can appoint your own decision makers mm -hmm. to manage the trust's property if right. you are alive but incapacitated. The trust mm -hmm. also works after death. But again, mm -hmm. within the trust, you as the creator of the trust get to designate who those decision makers are and you don't have to have a court authorize them to do that mm -hmm. within the will you have to name an executor or personal representative and they can't do anything until they get a court order that says you are hereby formally appointed the executor of christine's estate mm -hmm. so the wills might create a trust inside mm -hmm. of it that's called a testamentary trust mm -hmm. a trust that establishes after death mm -hmm. um, and then a will what if the will is the centerpiece of the estate plan it should also have powers of attorney durable powers of attorney for property uh, to manage your property in the event you become incapacitated mm -hmm. medical durable powers of attorney to appoint somebody to make medical decisions for you if you're incapacitated now a trust centered estate plan if the trust is a centerpiece then the trust will also have those durable powers of attorney for property and for healthcare. But a trust-centered estate plan has a very specific type of will called the mm -hmm. poor over will. What that means, what that does is it kind of acts as a property safety net mm -hmm. that says that if I died and mm -hmm. I didn't have some of the assets inside my trust, because mm -hmm. the, the issue is what, if you have the trust, you want to put your assets in the trust. Mm -hmm. But if you die, and somebody says, oh, wait, Christine had this condo or this vehicle or this account that was in her individual name. What that poor over will does is it still has to go through probate like any other will does. Mm -hmm. But it says that through the end of that probate process, we're not distributing that property to my heirs. We're distributing that property to my trust. It pours it over into the mm -hmm. trust. And now the trust becomes that privatized environment mm -hmm. through which we can manage the deceased person's property. Got it. Got it. So, so I know this is um what I was uh, studying for my enrolled agent. They always use this um, example about Michael Jackson. 
Like mm-hmm. remember he he had I think he had a will right, but he doesn't have a trust. And I think mm-hmm. I don't know it's finalized now with the IRS. I don't think so, right? It's like it's been over ten years now. I'd be years surprised. Now. I, I'd yeah. be surprised. It's a massive estate. <laughs> yeah. So 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 if if everyone doesn't know, like Michael Jackson didn't have will, and I think most of the celebrities they don't even a lot yeah, of I mean, don't. I know because they're it's invincible. Like, I was like, they're immortal. They're, like, yeah. they're, they're invincible until they're not. Yeah, like like in the movies, like you know how they're all immortal in the movies, right? So it happens in real life too. So so yeah. So you'll be surprised. Like some of them don't even have a will. I think you know at least Michael Jackson had a will. But but see, like you know, um, now like they still have that issue. Like IRS is trying yeah. to like say, oh, Michael Jackson's word really a lot and then his attorneys are saying he doesn't he's not worth a lot because of you know right. what happened to him during the later stages so they're fighting against the word the IRS of course want so they can tax a lot and then this one not tax so it's like if he he had a trust then that would I mean what do you think it would have solved all that problems that they're encountering no, no it would not have solved that problem mm-hmm. I mean that that problem is solved by valuation issues mm-hmm. and they're arguing over what his royalties are worth and what his properties mm-hmm. are worth or whatever and um, mm-hmm. You know, there are advanced estate planning techniques you can put into motion that will mm-hmm. drive those values down for tax oh. purposes. I've been working on one of those today, as a matter of oh, fact. Cool. Um, but the the issues that most celebrities' estates kind of get into, um, it was a uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was another one, and uh, Aretha Franklin and Prince. Um, they famously did not have. I think Robin Williams as well kind of uh, did not have very comprehensive estate plans. What usually ends up causing problems is not around the valuation issues with the IRS. It's mm-hmm. usually around who gets what. And, you know, in for whatever it's worth, a lot of these celebrities have relationships with other people and end up having children with other people. Yeah. And then what are they entitled to? And uh, business deals that went sideways and what are those creditors entitled to and you know what rights did they retain and whatever so um, those do get highly complicated some of those issues certainly not all of them but some of those issues can be avoided with really carefully thought through and well-executed estate plans but the other side of it is those those inter- those stories are kind of fun and interesting because we all know these <laughs> celebrities and we all kind of yeah. aspire to, to have those yeah. types of problems um, but I mean the reality is um, we're all going to f- see someday where mm-hmm. we're not around anymore. Yeah. And we're, and we know, I'm, I don't know, I'm not sure what data you're seeing, but what I've seen is y- you are, um, we have like a 50%, maybe higher likelihood that we're going to spend some period of being disabled before we actually die. How do we make sure that the decision makers we know and trust, mm-hmm trust especially the decision makers we want are the ones mm-hmm. that will actually be empowered if we yeah. don't have a really clearly thought out estate plan we could mm-hmm. have an abusive uh, child you know mm-hmm. this is where a lot of elder abuse comes in is where somebody yeah. gets empowered because they file the court action to now manage mom and dad's property and before yeah. long we see a lot of elder abuse kick in but if we plan in advance and we keep that plan up to date, then we reduce the likelihood. We can't eliminate it, but we can reduce the likelihood that some of those abuse things will actually take place. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, Ruben Ortega just joined. He said, hey, Christine and Matt, sorry I missed earlier just joining in, but what is the difference between will and trust and administrator versus executor? So Ruben, we just talked about the will and trust, so you can just listen back to the replay. I'm actually going to convert this to the podcast so you can listen to that as well. So why don't we talk about what is the difference between administrator versus executor? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a distinction without much of a difference. Um, mm-hmm. So a at least in the probate context, this is what Ruben may be asking about. An administrator is usually the person who is appointed by the court to manage the estate of someone who is intestate, which means they died without a will. Mm. It's usually referred to as the administrator. Now, an executor, in some jurisdictions, use the term personal representative, but mm-hmm. the executor is the person named in the will. And then mm-hmm. the executor, if you have a will that names Christine as my executor, Christine then takes the will to the probate court in the jurisdiction mm-hmm. where I died. And mm-hmm. she said, here's Matt's will. He names me as the executor. The court says, okay, this looks like a valid will. Christine, are you willing to uh, execute this to the best of your ability and according to the laws of whatever jurisdiction? You say, yes, your honor. And mm-hmm. then you are now appointed by the court as my executor. But it's because I named you. If, mm-hmm. if I don't have that will, if I am mm-hmm. intestate, then if you, any party in interest, anybody who says, hey, I think I'm entitled to something from Matt's estate, mm-hmm. whether I'm a creditor or whether mm-hmm. I'm an heir, um, then I can say, okay, hey, judge, Matt died. He has some stuff. He doesn't have a will. I want to be appointed as the administrator to then mm-hmm. manage this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay, Ruben, I hope that answered your question. Um, okay, so what about, okay, so we talk about, you know, how estate plan, you have to keep like update because life change, you have to update that just like working out, right? Like if you stop working out, then of course, you're gonna either get fat or whatever, if you still eat, keep eating a lot. So yeah, what? how is estate plan like financial planning or working out where you have to regularly update that? I mean, it's kind of my point. I mean, it's, it's iterative. It's like saying, well, yep. I brush my teeth. <laughs> Well, you just did it once. That's it. That's it. Once. You don't have to brush. Yeah. No, it's, it's, not, it's not quite that bad. That's, that's, that's admittedly an oversimplification. But, but the point is, um, the, the reason I kind of talk about it in those terms of it being an iterative process mm-hmm. is that, um, I mean, another way to look at it is that the estate plan you signed today is basically a snapshot of this moment in time. We're looking at your assets today. We're looking at your family today, your priorities, the law, the opportunities today. All of that's going to change. Every part of it's going to change. The economy is going to change. The laws are going to change. Your mm-hmm. objectives are going to change. Yep. Your assets are going to change. Everything is going to change. So that doesn't mean you have to redo your estate plan every couple of months. That's not what I'm talking about. Yep. But you should have a running dialogue with your estate planning attorney mm-hmm. to say, hey, you know what? Um, I was kind of thinking the other day that um, the person that I named as my executor under my will or the agent under my power of attorney, I've kind of lost contact with them or passed away or whatever. Um, those need to be updated from time to time. Yep. Um, and, and again, the law is constantly evolving. We are expecting a new tax code, you know, in the, within the next couple of years at the latest, because, you know, you look at what the economy is doing and the unlimited quantitative easing. And we know that the federal estate tax law already has a built in expiration date. We know that that will end at the end of 2025 and no later than that, we'll get a new law. But 
a lot of us inside the industry are thinking it's looking more likely than not mm -hmm. that we could have significant tax changes even as early as next year. Mm -hmm. That's going to change a lot of people's estate plans because people who mm -hmm. don't have a, an estate tax problem right now, they might mm -hmm. in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, the laws of the, the jurisdictions are constantly shifting. My, my adopted home state of Colorado enacted an entirely new trust code uh, mm -hmm. that went into effect January 1 of 2019. Mm -hmm. So that means all the estate plans, will-based estate plans or trust-based estate plans in Colorado had better get at least reviewed and potentially significantly revised because there's an entirely new body of law. Mm -hmm. um, uniform digital ac access to assets laws change. You know, if, if I want to, if I need, if I'm your executor and now I need to come in and shut down, kind of wrap up your LinkedIn profile. How do I have authorization to do that? If your estate plan doesn't give me authorization to do that, guess what? I'm committing federal felonies that go into um, anti-hacking laws. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our social media stuff needs to be contemplated in our estate plan. Our crypto assets have to be contemplated in our estate plan. I mean, mm -hmm. the, there are new issues that arise all the time yeah. that estate planning, just like financial planning, has to mm -hmm. account for. Yep, exactly. So, um, so do you also like, um, if, if a client come to you, you know, they're super wealthy and stuff like that. So I guess, do you help them with like tax planning aspect of it too? Like multi-generation wealth. Oh, yeah. So, so that's kind of, okay. So you, okay. Okay. So awesome. So yeah, cause I actually recently had a client, um, we'll just talk offline about that, but they're also very wealthy and then they're looking for someone who, who can help with that one as well. Okay. That's so, really, um, that's really our sweet spot. Quite honestly. I mean, the vast majority of our clients are, have have federally taxable estates under this current environment so the, the mm -hmm. vast majority of our clients are, are well north of the 20 million dollar mm -hmm. range got it okay so um okay why are some estate plans created in different states are you saying different estate plans for different states Is, oh mm -hmm. okay yeah so um i was kind of alluding to this when i was talking about some mm -hmm. of the uh, just some of the inheritance laws but um mm -hmm. so what remind me what state are you in i live in california yeah, that's what that's what I was afraid of. California's <laughs> terrible. I mean, I love California. In terms of what? In terms of what? But they're, well, in terms of inheritance laws for women, in terms of their income <laughs> why, tax Why? Laws tell me. Tell me why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, the ability for you to create a, an asset protection trust for yourself is very, very limited. Your income taxes are draconian, um, and so, uh, but uh -huh. we can take plan. We can create plans for people in California or in okay. Oregon, or in a lot of other jurisdictions that have mm -hmm. high income taxes, high state uh -huh. income taxes, or that have, and or that have weak trust laws. Mm -hmm. And we can then take those clients and put them in various strategies in other jurisdictions that have zero income tax from a state perspective, mm -hmm. and uh, that have very robust uh, asset protection laws for what's called a self-settled or self-created trust. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, Colorado is not a great jurisdiction either for trusts. I was kind of, I was kind of, mm -hmm. you know, poking at you a little bit, but I mean, it's, <laughs> California's trust laws aren't very good. Neither are Colorado's. But you know who's are really, really good? Which? South Dakota, South okay. Dakota, uh, Wyoming is pretty okay. good. Nevada's really good. Tennessee. I'm Ohio. moving to Nevada soon. There you go. Well, that's <laughs> that's a smart move for lots of reasons. Um, yes. But um, mm -hmm. you know, the there are. There are some jurisdictions in the United States that have made it a, a legislative priority 
to make themselves attractive for trust related business. And so that's, those are some of the states that I've, that I've mentioned. And, and really some of the, the most important ones are Nevada, as you've already zeroed in on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. South Dakota by a long shot. Wyoming's quite good. Mm-hmm. Delaware, also quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, where a lot of our expertise comes in is in knowing the laws of these other jurisdictions and why maybe mm-hmm. Nevada makes sense for you. Or maybe South Dakota makes sense for you, or maybe Wyoming, or whatever. And it really depends on what you want to, what you want your plan to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then, because we can put you in a protective zero tax environment, there are a lot of a lot of options for that. But depending on what you want to do, South Dakota might make more sense than Nevada um, or Wyoming or whatever. So um, now. You can't take all of your assets necessarily and put them in one of those types of jurisdictions because you can't render yourself insolvent for creditor purposes. However, uh, if we work well in advance, there are ways that we can start to build some protection around kind of rainy day assets, we might call them, um, or a business interest or whatever. And for, for a lot of clients, even for a lot of, a lot of California clients, especially, we're doing a lot of Wyoming or South Dakota based irrevocable trust planning and then allowing, you know, kind of helping them liquidate California, liquidate assets through one of these other trust structures in a way that dramatically reduces the impact of California state level income tax. So that's that's a big part of, of what our practice is all about is mm-hmm. uh, kind of pairing up the right jurisdiction mm-hmm. with whatever problem it is the client is trying to solve. Got it. So um, um, oh, I'm a little confused. So what if they live in California, you're saying they can create a mm-hmm. trust in Nevada or South Dakota? Yeah, do it all the time. Oh, but how does that work? I guess the trust is not based on where you live. Then you, it's like you can. Like, what if you have a house on, in California? It depends on the kind of trust. Well, if you have a house, if you're okay. talking about real estate, that becomes really tough because real estate is physically located in California. Yes. But let's say it's a business, or let's say it's Bitcoin. Okay. We're doing this right now. We've okay. we've been working on this for a really large Bitcoin client in California, mm-hmm. um, and so Bitcoin is not even tangible. It, it just yeah. exists on a blockchain and it's, that's right. a whole other conversation for their time. But this client at today's valuation has about $113 million worth of Bitcoin. She's mm, a California wow. resident. Her basis okay. is zero on that Bitcoin. So if she were to liquidate that, she's going to pay 13.3% yep. of 11 million bucks. No, excuse <laughs> that, me, of, of, of 111 million bucks. So, yeah, that's a lot. So now we're talking about $20 million worth of yeah. tax liability just right there. Mm-hmm. What we have done is because, so we didn't do this with her house, we didn't do this with her bank accounts, but we did this with her Bitcoin because it's a commodity. It's just like an equity portfolio or whatever. We created a couple of different irrevocable trusts in Wyoming because Wyoming is a zero tax jurisdiction, very protective trust laws and Mm -hmm. really comprehensive cryptocurrency laws as well. Mm -hmm. We then helped her set up custody with Mm -hmm. a crypto custodian and we mm-hmm. had to design the trust in a way where we sever her control. So once she mm-hmm. transfers it in, she can't reach in and grab it back. But yep. she she is the beneficiary. She's one of the beneficiaries of this trust. So now when we help her sell Bitcoin through this trust, it gets sold not as a California resident, 
it gets sold as a Wyoming resident because of the type of trust it is. Oh, it's an irrevocable trust. Got it's it. an irrevocable trust that she created. And by the design of the trust, mm -hmm. it becomes a separate taxpayer for federal income tax purposes. Mm -hmm. So then when future sales take place, those sales take place through a Wyoming structure, not through a California structure. Mm -hmm. Got now, some it. Jurisdictions, oh, some jurisdictions have, have put the kibosh on that. You cannot do that for people <laughs> in New York, for example. Ah, um, uh, yes, New York, right? They always have very yeah, strict rules they're, there. <laughs> they're just really savvy about their tax revenue. <laughs> Who's worse, New York or California? <laughs> well, if you live in the city of New York City, it's worse. Oh, if you yeah, live, yeah. If you live outside of the, the five boroughs area, California is worse. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're saying, okay, so you can do this with Bitcoin. Can you do this with other investments account, brokerages, yeah. Oh, yeah. or retirement? Yep. Also, Small the only exclusion. Okay. The only exclusion is just your property. Now, there, there are more exclusions than that, but that's a okay. really easy one to identify. And it's because how do you take okay. a piece of real estate that occupies, it's physically occupied exactly. in exactly. California? How do you yeah. take that? I mean, there exactly. are some strategies that are pretty aggressive that I've seen people yeah. try. Um, yeah. I don't Got really it. want to talk about that on the air because California <laughs> may just get, get wise about it. Yeah. So, okay. So, so basically the other stuff that's not physically here, then you can technically sell under whatever irrevocable trust you set up in whatever state you set up. Wow. It's that's, possible. that's awesome. It is, it is possible. It's Got hard. It. It's complicated, but it's possible. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I learned that's a big thing I learned today. Okay. So, and it's, I guess it works the same thing with businesses, right? Like when they say LLC, yeah. whatever, they do it in, in a very uh, business friendly state. So yeah, they don't have, right. yeah. Like for example, for sure. let's say California, right? Like California, the LLC is expensive. It's like $800 a year. So can they set mm -hmm. up an LLC in another state like Nevada, but still practice in California? They can, but the, the franchise tax board is still going to get them uh, <laughs> because now you've got, and here's why. Because now, because you still have mm -hmm. to register that, let's say you got this, so it's now a foreign entity, it's a Nevada LLC. But if mm -hmm. you're doing business in California, you're going to have to register that LLC in California. So the FTB mm -hmm. is still going to get you on their feet. Got it. Got so it. that's one of the things yeah. that, the FTB, that the FTB is really good at. So FTB is the Franchise Tax Board. Well, what is all remote IRS now? Of California. Yeah. Well, it's remote yeah, so if you're, now. It's so COVID. If you, well, yeah. but if you're physically located in California doing that's what you're right, doing, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to say, well, you know, you're really doing business in California. You don't have to have a brick and mortar. You're here in yeah. California. We, we want our we want our share of the revenue. That's just yeah, you know, yeah. New York is also very tricky. Like if you if you have a New York, your company's in New York, but let's say you're in Nevada with no state income mm -hmm. tax. But if you're remotely working for New York company, yeah. they will still yeah. tax you. But it's not force income. Exactly, yep. but then, but then, not all state does that. If you're remotely working right. in other places, but other, right. most states don't tax if you're doing remote, even if the company's there. But New York does, so <laughs> I was like, yeah. "Wow, okay, and yeah." That's, and York that's really why it's critically important that your viewers mm -hmm. and listeners talk to really good accounting professionals as well, whether exactly. they're enrolled agents, CPAs, mm -hmm. whatever. You know, they really need to be getting a lot of really proactive um, tax accounting advice to make sure that they don't end up making what's called nexus or that legal tax connection exactly. to a jurisdiction that they don't really intend. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then like, um, I actually worked for TurboTax this past season. And then all I can say is that I think most people shouldn't be doing their own taxes. So, so there's no mm -hmm. offense. I don't, but I, I, I think don't do my should... own taxes. 
I think you should just hire a financial professional because yeah, my experience is they call they call in and most people can't even read instructions, like which is literally yeah. right there. So it's like please just go somewhere else and then do it. unless you're fairly good at DIYing. And I think most people shouldn't even be doing their taxes. No, so, most people are terrible at that. And it's and honestly, <laughs> I, I don't do my own dentistry. I don't do my own <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah. you know, I don't do my yeah. own taxes. I do yeah. do my own legal work, but it's because I'm a lawyer and I'm admitted to practice in a handful of states, yeah. people should not be doing their own estate plans. People should probably not be doing their own taxes. They certainly should not be doing their own dentistry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, there, there are, I understand people don't want to spend money that they don't have to spend. And I understand that people are concerned about making sure that they get what they pay for. Yeah. yeah. But the other side of it is you do have a tendency to get what you pay for. Yeah. And um, so it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, people shouldn't overspend. Mm-hmm. But I think that the word I think that worse than overspending is actually underspending because if you spend anything and you get something that doesn't really do what you want to do, guess what? You've mm-hmm. wasted that money. Exactly. One dollar of every dollar you spent is wasted. Versus, exactly. hey, you know what? I spent maybe more than I should have, but I got a really, really good plan. Well, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't get a bargain in your mind, but mm-hmm. it's still it's still money well spent. Versus, eh, might as well just you know. Do yeah. like the Joker and light my money on fire. Exactly. So Tanya um, has a, a good, you know, something to say. So as a funeral director, so many folks with POA do not understand that POA passes when a person passes. And then the interim process of executor in certain cases, I would see this time and time again with the signing of funeral home documents. Oh, gosh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Um, so one critical thing about so POA powers of appointment or powers mm-hmm. powers of attorney rather powers mm-hmm. of attorney. I've been working on a tax thing. It's powers of appointment, but powers of attorney. <laughs> um, what that means is a power of attorney is a document that says I hereby appoint and designate somebody else to make legal decisions for me. Mm-hmm. If it's a property power, then they're making property decisions. If it's a medical mm-hmm. power, they're making medical decisions. Mm-hmm. So that's a power of attorney. Now. Mm-hmm. Every jurisdiction also has an option to create a durable power of attorney. And that simply means that if I become incapacitated, mm-hmm. the power of a attorney still operates. It still mm-hmm. functions. It's durable in that it withstands my disability or my incapacity. Mm-hmm. It does not withstand my death. If I die, the power of attorney dies with me. Now mm-hmm. we have to look at the trust. If there's a trust in place, who's that successor trustee, or if we have a will, who is the executor, but remember what I said, the executor doesn't have any legally binding authority until the court appoints them, okay? So nobody is gonna sign that funeral director's contract in a legally binding way until they have um, what are called letters of, uh, letters testamentary or letters of administration appointing the executor or administrator of the probate estate, or the successor trustee of the trust who can now legally bind the decedent's estate or the decedent's trust mm-hmm. to the terms of the contract that the funeral director has. Yep, yep, guys. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot more at stake here, guys. So it's like I think you know, just consider it, and then um, estate planning is a, is a huge topic. You know, you can never learn too much about. It. I actually have an attorney coming in too. Like I just don't think this is just like such a huge topic. And I also have someone else uh, coming in. Like they offer that, like you said, um, I forget what his company's name, but he's gonna come and talk to me. But then it's like it's like legal Zoom type of thing. So mm-hmm. we're just gonna mm-hmm. talk about what they offer as well. So sure. in case anyone's interested in that as well. So okay, so. 
thank you so much, Matt. This is so enlightening. I learned so much. And then I'll be converting this to podcast so people can listen easily. So how can people find you? And then people want to get in touch with you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the best, you know, one of the easiest ways is through LinkedIn. Um, if you do, if you do connect with me through LinkedIn, connect, connect me through Christine, just so I can make that connection in my mind that, hey, you listen to this broadcast. And, you know, I'm a, you're a, I'm a friend of Christine's. So, pe- so peg me there. You can also just find us on the web at uh, www.evergreenlegacyplanning.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's where you can learn a little bit more about our firm, who I am, what we do. Um, that's that's the easiest way. Got it. Got it. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Matt. And then thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you got a lot out of this. And have a great night, everyone. Thank you. Thanks Bye-bye, lot, Matt. Okay. Thank you for listening to my podcast episode. Please feel free to leave a review and follow me on LinkedIn. You can find me by my full name, Christine Tay. That's T-E-H. I am also on Instagram and YouTube under my company name, Tay Financial Coaching. You can check my services and LinkedIn online course by going to my website at www.tayfinancialcoaching.com. I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.